How old are you? Now, I ask that in a general setting. You never ask a woman how old she is. <clears throat> Unless she's a little girl, then they love to tell you how old they are. And we got a couple birthdays today, which is a great day for a birthday. And uh, I think Cammie and isn't it uh, Callum? Is he his birthday today too? So anybody else have a birthday today? Well, figure the age you are now. You can say it to yourself. Got to be honest with yourself. And how long do you expect to live? Now, I'm talking about physical existence on this earth before you die. I'm not talking about eternally or spiritually. I'm talking about how long do you expect to live? Pick a number. I said, you know, maybe you picked uh, 95. But you know, when you start to get to 93 and 94, you might want to adjust that. <clears throat> and uh, a lot of us think, you know, you're getting towards 60 and you're talking about midlife. And I think it, that's pretty optimistic to be 60 in a midlife. So if you, you pick a number and, and you say, well, I'm hoping to live until a certain, certain number. Probably be less than 100. Life gets more complicated when you get, start getting that old. But there are a lot of people in the world that live to that age. And so if you set on that number and your birth date today, that's the continuum of life. You were born, you're living today, and here's a day where you feel like, you know what, that's when this body gives out and I'm done. Then how would you respond if I said to you, that your best days are behind you. What does that do for you? Yeah. <laughs> you are such an encouragement. You are not Joel Osteen. Uh, if I were to say, your very best days are ahead of you. Oh, you'd say, thanks so much. But you don't really know that because you don't know what's going to happen. And the truth is, I don't know how your life will unfold. I don't know of all the things that changed just in this last week. There's one day, I think it was Wednesday, when a lot of us were complaining about trying to get through traffic and I-25 being shut down. And someone lost their life that day. That person, that family, that extended family, everything changed for them. And who would have predicted that? If we could have pre pre predicted it, we might have prevented it. We might have said, don't get in the car today. Don't go out today. So, if I can have maybe a message of, of positivity and positive thinking and encouraging you, I, I could say... The best days of your life are ahead of you. But I would like to make that statement and then back it up. That for the Christian, the person who has put their faith and trust in Jesus, who died for their sins, who was buried, 
And on the third day, He rose again. A Christian is someone who believes that. A Christian is not a perfect person. A Christian isn't a person that just goes to church. A Christian isn't just someone who got baptized. A Christian is someone who believes. Like a child will believe that Jesus died for my sins. His blood washed them away. He was buried. He rose again the third day. And for the Christian, this statement, the best is yet to come, is always true. Every moment of every day of your life. And that changes the way we live. It changes our countenance. The best is yet to come. And I'd like to read for the text, by the way, I hope that everything that I will say to you on any given Sunday like that will be backed up with truth. We'll be backed up by God's Word. Because otherwise, it's just another man blowing sunshine. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. And of course, Peter was one of those... We know, we know Peter for the guy who's always putting his foot in his mouth. Peter's the guy that's always saying that you would have said if you would have had enough courage. <laughs> and then after he says it, you say, Peter, I can't believe you said that. Peter's the one that walked on water, started to sink. Like we would do better. <laughs> and Peter's one of the ones that witnessed these things. He witnessed these things of the Passion Week. In verse 3 of 1 Peter 1, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance they can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. God has given us a living hope through the resurrection. And He says He has an inheritance prepared for you that is not going to spoil, is not going to decay, and is not going to fade away. For the Christian, we would say, let hope rise because of what Jesus has done. And the best is yet to come. We need hope today because, and you just, you think about this, everything in this world is, is in a process of decay, including your body. And so next year, you're a little older. And we'd like to tend to think, you know what, next year I'm going to be faster and stronger and better. And that does happen for a few years, very few years. <laughs> and then you realize that I'm just trying to hang on <laughs> to what I have. 
And especially as the time is growing to where we know that we have less and less time on this earth, we feel the, the agony of humanity. The agony of this flesh is not going to live forever. And how can you be hopeful about that? How can you have hope in the midst of a fallen, decaying world and a fallen, decaying body how can you have hope? It's because of this. They say that a person can last 40 days without food. I don't know many of you people have tried that. That doesn't say teenagers. That just says people. <laughs> a person can survive for 40 days without food, three days without water, eight minutes, about eight minutes without air. They can only survive one minute without hope. Have you ever lost hope? I bet you have. I bet there have been some times where the discouragement of your condition caused you to lose hope. And when you lose hope, you just feel like checking out. I just, I can't, I can't do this life anymore. And Jesus Christ is able to address that like no one else can. We need hope. We know we need hope. But it can't just be wishful thinking or a positive mental attitude. What do you base your hope on? Do you base your hope on your intellect? That's going to fade. Are you going to base your hope on your physical ability? That's going to weaken. Are you going to base your hope on your financial security? There's no such thing, in case you notice. <laughs> so what you, your faith, if I could say it this simply, your faith is only as strong as what it's resting on. Does that make sense? Your faith is only as strong as what it rests upon. And that's why when Jesus comes, He helps us to get a misplaced faith, faith that may be based in, on human ability or money or, or family or friends, or uh, a misplaced faith on religion or practices or good behavior. But you know the truth is, bad people die. Don't they? Bad people die, and really, really good people die too. So, tell what difference does it make? The thing is, everybody in life, everyone in this world <clears throat> is, is living in fallen humanity. But when you place your faith in what is true, and what is eternal, and what is strong, that is what makes a difference. So we place our faith in Jesus. And I think in, in three ways that I see Jesus. One is He is the perfect man. He was perfect in His birth. He was perfect in His life. He was obedient to God His entire life. You know, we can't make it through five minutes <laughs> without 
having some wrong thought, can we? Jesus was perfect as He came. Born of a virgin, sinless, God. He lived 33 and a half years and never sinned. He was perfect. And because He was perfect, He was able to offer Himself in your place. In other words, be your substitute. When you were a sinner, dying in your sins, with no hope, Jesus came, the perfect substitute. And only He could do that because He had not sinned. And then it says He died. And I think that, you know, back to the week of the Passion, if we go back 2,000 years, remember how it started. The, 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 the whole week started with fanfare. I mean, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. They're laying down palm branches and their cloaks and, and uh, saying, he is, <clears throat> he is King. He's coming. He's here to save us. And things so deteriorated that week that the very same people that were applauding Him as King were crucifying Him on Friday. He goes through the week. He's meeting with His disciples. He's telling them, I must die and I will rise again. And they're arguing about where they're going to sit at the table. Who's the greatest? Who's the most important? He leaves that place and goes down to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. He says, come pray with me. But they fall asleep. He comes back. Come pray with me. They fall asleep again. And then comes Judas, one of his own, one of his followers, and betrays him. They lead him off to Caiaphas' house. And in the very courtyard, Peter denies Jesus three times. I don't know him. I don't know this man. I've not seen him. And all the way down to the place where we have the crucifixion. They're driving the nails into his hands. The people are mocking him and beating him. All this is happening. Now, there are two, two enemies that Jesus is going to defeat. The first enemy and the last enemy. The first enemy is sin. And the last enemy is death. I want you to think on, on a sense of a continuum here. That the first enemy, when it comes into the world, sin, sin destroys everything. Every bit of sadness, sorrow, sickness, pain, disappointment, heartbreak that you've ever experienced in your life is a result of sin. And it may not be your sin, maybe someone else's sin. But when other people sin, it affects all of us. And so the very first problem that he deals with is sin. And the very last one he deals with is death. So when Jesus shed His blood on the cross. He dealt with sin. He defeated sin. That sin no longer has power over us. And then in His death, he defeat, in, his, in His resurrection, He defeated death. We call that the last enemy. The first enemy 
is the initiator of all evil. He destroys that. And the last enemy is death. And He destroys that by His resurrection. And when He rises up, He defeats that. Now, do we know this is true? And I think that's probably a question people will ask. How do you know? I mean, this is a pretty incredible statement to say a man rose from the dead. You don't find that with other leaders of religions or places. But rising up from the dead and and, and defeating death is what he did. Now, was Jesus really dead? Did he just pass out? Did he <clears throat> was he just tired? Did they take him down from the cross <clears throat> and uh, later he revived? Let me just kind of give a, a thought because this, these, all of these events, everything about your hope and my hope rest on this week, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. These are the central tenets of the Christian faith in what we call the gospel, the good news. And if it's not true, it's like Paul said, we're all, of all people most hopeless. We, we have lost all hope if this is not true. Was he dead? <clears throat> I think this, that the, the Jewish leaders, they're going to make sure that he's dead. <clears throat> they hated him so much. You see just a venomous assault upon Jesus. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, all of the religious leaders <clears throat> saw him as a threat. So they watched him and they were going to be sure he was dead. The Roman soldiers. A Roman soldier is given a responsibility to make sure the job is done. And there were soldiers all around watching, making sure that this was accomplished, Jesus died. In fact, if they weren't dead soon enough, the tradition was to break their legs. Because typically they could... They could lift themselves up and take, take air. But if their legs were broken, they could no longer do that. And they'd suffocate. And so they went to break the legs. They came to Jesus, and He was already dead. And just to make sure, they took a spear and thrust it into His side. And you've read about that. They thrust the spear into His side, and it says that what came out was blood and water mixed, showing that He was already dead. They took him down. People carried him off. Joseph of Arimathea. They wrapped him up. They placed him in a tomb. The mob was making sure he was dead. Followers were hoping he would stay alive. They abandoned him. And now he's in the grave. And he's dead. Jesus is dead. But he said he would rise again. And what it, and, and you you take the resurrection and there, there's probably more evidence on the resurrection of Jesus than probably any other religious event in history. The empty tomb is evidence, heavily guarded by Roman soldiers. Eyewitnesses estimated to be about five thousand people over forty days. Then the believers, the newfound boldness of Christians, and the explosion of the church. The conversion of the Apostle Paul, who 
it, it just dramatically turned his life around. And then the stories all through history of how Jesus Christ has changed your life. He is a living Savior. And so, here's the thing. His death dealt with your sin. And His resurrection dealt with your death. Those are the two things about you. About You say, do I have any problems? You've got problems. One is, you're a sinner. And, you're, and, and because you're a sinner, you're going to die. And there's no one that can keep you from dying. But Jesus was able, by His work, to be able to accomplish both. And that's how He speaks now of the hope that comes. Because when He writes here in 1 Peter, and He says, I've given a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. You remember what Jesus said in John 14. He said, Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in Me. You believe in God. Believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. Talking about inheritance. And He said, I go. I'm leaving to prepare a place for you. And if I, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back. I will come back and receive you to myself. You know, it's like you go back to the Old Testament and the hope, the hope was the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. He will atone for my sin. He will rise from the dead. He will bring salvation. The Messiah is coming. Well, for us today, we get to say He came, He was victorious, He went to heaven, and He's coming again. He is coming again. What is He doing now? He is preparing a place for us. That is our inheritance. Now, I believe that that's true because God's Word says it all through the Scriptures. I believe it's true because it's proven to be true all through historical fact. I believe it's true because I see the changing effect in people's lives. And so, it doesn't matter how difficult life becomes, how much pain can be inflicted, that for the Christian, the best is yet to come. The best is yet in heaven, in His presence, joining it with all the inheritance, with all other believers. That's a promise of God. That is what He has given us. That is our hope. That is our excitement. So while we have car accidents and while we have sickness and plagues and difficulties and things that happened as they did in Kenya this past week, and you think tragedies and tragedies and tragedies for the believer, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And any kind of pain that you experience from now until then, you know this, it's temporary. It's only temporary. And I have hope. I think this, that for the believer to anticipate, to not just anticipate and take assurance and hope, but to have such confidence, 
You know, it was amazing with the disciples and the followers of Jesus. Jesus had a ministry on the earth of about three and a half years. And the disciples and the followers that are up and down, up and down, and you know, there were times when they're all scattered. <clears throat> he'd have all these people following him, and then he'd say something they didn't like, and then they're all gone. <laughs> and I think back to when he was being crucified, which I thought a lot about this last week. And all of his disciples had scattered. Peter had denied him, said he went out and wept bitterly. Judas had betrayed him. Thomas would doubt him. Where were the rest of them? The rest of them just scattered. And, and they were discouraged. They were discouraged. They were discouraged. They lost hope. And you start to read the accounts from the time that he was buried until they saw him. They were just kind of in this downward spiral. And you know, that's how you and I get sometimes. Events start going poorly and we start thinking, man, there's, there's no hope. Nothing good happening. Why did the resurrection change all that? And I think this, that when, when Jesus finally, He conquered sin by His death, He conquered death by His resurrection, is that those two problems that we all face no longer have power to dominate our lives and our thinking. And now we have hope beyond whatever, whatever we're in. We've seen that everything that He has said to be true is, has come true. And everything that He has promised for the future, we know will come true. But the disciples, I'll tell you what, the, the, the entire, what we call Christian faith, after the resurrection was not the same. There was a boldness. There, there, was, there was a boldness that came upon the church. A fearlessness. A fearlessness. Even in the face of death, because you, you saw Christians being just martyred all through the, the last part of the first century and into the next century, people being martyred, and they would stand without fear. And I, I believe this, that the resurrection, they heard His teaching, they saw His crucifixion, but the resurrection sealed the deal. It just sealed the deal. Jesus rose from the dead. And if, and if Jesus can conquer death, He can conquer anything. And so his last words when he left, I'm coming again. I'm coming. And this time they really believe that. And they live that way. <clears throat> Yesterday morning, we get an email from our son who's with a ministry of launching campus ministries around the world. And I, and I was sat there and I read it and it just it, all day long, just like this heaviness from this email. And he talked about what happened in Kenya at the university and shared they, he and others had just been there this previous year training these people who were developing these campus ministries. So he'd, he'd been there. He knew people. He knew of people. 
Typically, we think of someone on the other side of the world. I don't even know those people. So 148 people. One of the girls, 19 years of age, leading a prayer meeting at 5.30 a.m. on this university campus. Scores of other young believers, college students, are there praying. And then these Islamic extremists come in and blow up that building, kill all of them. And then for the next 15 hours, if you can imagine that, 15 hours are going from room to room and finding every single person, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? And then shooting them. 142 students, six soldiers, six policemen, or three soldiers and three policemen. And I read that, and then our son was telling us about the training, about these people going and launching this particular campus movement on on this campus and other campuses across the Middle East and in Africa. You wonder, it seems like we're defeated. But let, let let me just share with you why the power of the resurrection still gives us hope when that kind of thing happens. First of all, I'll ask you this question. All those young college students, it would be like, you think of a room like this filled with a bunch of college students praying at 5.30 in the morning. You say, well, that's not much of a reward for praying. You get killed. What happened to them when they died? Paul says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Just like that. Those kids in the presence of Jesus see his hands and his feet. He's conquered sin. And that's a horror. All that sin, the murder, the, 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 the savagery going along in the world today, he has conquered that. And there they are, those students. The God they're praying to, they see. They see. They're with him forever. Amazing. What hope does their family have? I'll tell you this, the hope their family has, you know what, I would hate to see my kids hurt. I hate to see my, my grandkids hurt. I would hate it if I knew someone, loved someone who was a student and they were killed. I would just, but, I, but I'm thinking, I know, I know they're with the Lord. I don't just wish it. I know that because His words have said it. The evidence attests to it. All through history, we see that proven again and again. So, as a parent, I'm thinking, I'm so glad. It's a horrible thing, but that sinfulness, that wickedness, and that murder does not triumph over my kid. My son, my daughter, is not dead. They're alive with Jesus forever. That's the power of the resurrection. And so, instantly, college student in the presence of the Lord, instantly, mom and dad, parents, friends, the assurance, the sweet assurance and the anticipation, I'm going to see them again. I believe too. But it gets better than that. Let me tell you how great and powerful the good news of the resurrection is and the death of Christ. I start thinking of those savage, militant, 
Islamic people. And I just start getting angry. But the love of God is so powerful that Jesus died for them too. This is what, it's like He conquers sin. Jesus shed His blood for those college students. And Jesus shed His blood for those terrorists. And He loves them. And if they repent and believe, they too can have forgiveness of sins. And they too can have eternal life. And they too could be gathered around with those college students they murdered, praising God for the victory over sin and death. Is that amazing or what? You say, oh, I could never forgive people like that. Well, you're not God. <laughs> I'd have a hard time too. In fact, a lot of us talking about, I just want to get my ammo, get my stuff. I'm going to go over there. But here's how, here's how Jesus conquers a nation. It's with His love. Amazing. Now, if people do not repent, and if people do not believe, God will judge them in hell forever. You say, well, I don't like to focus on that. I don't like to focus on that either. Because, and it's not because God's mean. It's because we're all sinners and we're going to die and that's what we deserve is we deserve hell. So God is just. And the way that He atones for the sins of those terrorists, you say that what those terrorists did, how many life sentences could you give a person? How many times could you execute them? You feel like that. They just need the worst of the worst. Jesus took upon Himself upon the cross all the penalty of sin for good people, for religious people, for terrorists, for everyone. And see, that, that is the amazing power of the resurrection. It's motivated by love. The love of God conquers what the terrorists did. It, it, so now, and I believe this, what our son said to us, he said, it really makes me stop and think when I challenge a college, college student to count the cost of what they're going to do. You're going to start a Bible study? You're going to start a prayer meeting? Count the cost. So I would say, <laughs> let hope rise. In other words, let, let's preach it, teach it, tell it. There's hope. There's hope for the terrorist. Hope for the college student. There's hope for you. And that the power of His atoning blood on the cross to wash away our sins has the power to wash away all of the sins of the world, if we believe. And His resurrection has the power to give life eternal and with the inheritance with Jesus forever and for all people. We should be the most hope-filled people in all the world. And it's not because I know I'm not going to get in a car accident this week. It's not because I know that I'm, I'm never going to get cancer. It's because none of those things can touch me eternally. They can't. They, you can kill my body. 
that I have the promise that He's given to us. And, and that, for me, you say, well, what difference does, you know, we have Easter, you know, the death, burial, and resurrection. I understand that. It means a lot to me. But what difference does it, what the difference does it make in my life tomorrow? I'll tell you what difference it makes. It changes your whole attitude. It changes your whole attitude about life. Instead of worry and fear, it's filled with joy and peace. That's why Jesus, when he, when he first showed Himself, He said, Peace be unto you. Peace be to you. And so in the midst of a fallen, sinful, wicked world with terrorism going on everywhere, I can be so full of joy and so full of hope and anticipating being in His presence. And it's not just blowing sunshine. It's based on truth. It's based on reality. It's based on evidence. And there's an attractiveness about Christianity to the rest of the world. That's why we're different. We're different. We have an eternal perspective. We feel the pain. We feel the pain. But it's different. Elena Hill, her parents minister and live in Kenya. First thing I thought of was them. Gary. Gary and Jackie have been helping Bethany kids in Kenya. Gary's planning another trip out there. And he's going to be in a place where it's there's risk. We've got a son that's over there training campus leaders. So, so for all of us, and I think as a church family, it's a, a sobering reality. It should be a sobering reality. But there's a deep sense of joy and hope because of what Jesus did, dying on the cross and rising up from the dead. And my, my prayer for you is that you might believe. I mean, that's, knowing God personally is the most important thing I'd want for you. <laughs> That you come to know God personally. And all that is, is to believe that Jesus died for you. And He rose again. To believe that. And you have that promise. But beyond that, my prayer is that you would live not like the rest of the world lives. In fear and doubt and worry. But joy and peace and confidence. And holy anticipation for His coming again. And that kind of spirit and that kind of attitude will impact this world for Christ. I'd like this morning as we close in prayer, I want to pray for you and pray for me too as we respond to the, to the words, but um, let's pray for our friends in Kenya. Uh, and that the gospel... God would just cause the gospel to flood through that country like never before. To settle these people, to call all these families affected, and to cause these college students to just get on fire in their faith with the gospel. We have no greater need in the history of the world than right now for the gospel. We have no greater opportunity. And several of us have been praying for the last several weeks that that God would cause just a wave of His working through Boulder Valley of people seeing hope in Christ and turning to Him. 
I believe God wants to do that. I believe God will do that. Let's pray for that and that God would give us courage and boldness and strength and confidence in His name.